Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. My name is Kevin Tarka. I am the founder of Creation Talent Agency, and I will be releasing a new podcast every single day for an entire year that is specifically designed to share the inevitable challenges of the sports business world and how to overcome them. I'm inviting you to join me in real time on my personal journey of representing professional basketball players, traveling the world, and continuously finding ways to battle through the adversity in this competitive industry. The goal is to share as many secrets as I can to help you along your own path to success. Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. Today we're talking with head coach of St. Michael's College, Eric Eaton. And for those who don't know Coach Eaton, he played college ball at UMass Dartmouth, where he took his team to the NCAA tournament three times. And as soon as he graduated, he got right into his coaching career, starting with a volunteer position, making a few stops in Massachusetts at the D2 and D3 levels, and then spent, at this point, almost 20 years at the Division I level at Holy Cross, Albany, Quinnipiac, where he was lucky enough to be my coach. Uh, and then Iona, and currently in his second year uh, as head coach of St. Michael's College. So welcome, coach. Yeah, appreciate you having me, man. It's great to see you. Yeah, that was that was enough pumping you up. That's all. That's all you get this episode. <laughs> so let's let's start let's start off telling the listeners a little bit more about you, uh, kind of growing up and getting into the coaching game. So, when you were playing, did did you know you wanted to coach? How did it all begin? Um, yeah, I think I did a little bit, but I, I you know I think like you know a lot of college students, I didn't quite know. Um, my mom was a teacher, and uh, you know I kind of thought teaching, coaching, high school, prep school maybe college, you know, coming from the D3 level, I thought maybe small school uh, coaching. And then uh, my fifth year of college and my eligibility was up. Um, you know, I tried to extend it as long as I could before I had to hit the real world. Smart um, man. I was, I was volunteer, like you mentioned, volunteer coaching at UMass Dartmouth for Coach Baptiste, who I played for. And, you know, he had a couple of, I mean, all the guys obviously three years prior were all my teammates, which is really tough to coach those guys. A couple of them were my roommates. Um, and, but there were some younger kids, there was some freshmen and coach was like, come in and, and coach and just focus on those guys every day and just coach those guys and teach them what they need to know. And, you know, I don't know how much they'll play as freshmen, but as sophomores, we're going to graduate a lot of guys are going to be a big part of what we do. And first day, uh, you know, I know all the drills. I know the plays. I know, you know, what he's going to do. I know he's, you know, he's a maniac. He's going to get after everybody. And um, practice it just ended. And I, it's two flights of stairs up to his office. And I sprinted up the stairs and was like, you're telling me somebody's going to pay me to do this the rest of my life. Like, what do I have to do? Please. That's like, awesome. what, what do I have to do? So, um, you know, you, you go back and you look at kind of your path and, and he said, well, besides me, who do you know that are college coaches? And I'm like, geez, man, I, you know, I knew Kevin O'Brien who at the time was, I believe he was an assistant. I don't remember if it was BU at, or Harvard at the time. I think it was Harvard. Um, and he had recruited me at when he was the head coach at Brandeis when I was in high school. Uh, and I built a great relationship with him when he was recruiting me and, and great guy and, and still stay in touch with him to this day. And the other only other guy I knew in really in college coaching that I knew well was Coach Moore, who was at UConn. And he was like, call those two guys up, tell them what you want to do, tell them you want to come sit with them and figure it out and whatever. So that's exactly what I did. I drove up to Boston and I sat with Coach O'Brien and I drove up to stores and I sat with Coach Moore and what do I do? And they were like, reach out to every single person, you know, email, do what you got to do. And um, Dave Shea, who's now the athletic director for the city of Worcester, was the head coach at Anna Maria College, which is where he mm -hmm. played, which is where my mom went. And um, 
I called him up. He was one of the people that I kind of knew a little bit. I had played against him and played with him. And he's like, I got a part-time assistant job for like thousand dollars for the school year. You want to do it? And I was like, you pay me zero dollars, man. I'm in, let's do it. Um, so it was there two years. Was that assumption for one when, when Tom Ackerman came in and he was a brand new coach and wanted a local guy and timing for me worked perfectly. And then the following year and in, in the spring of 99 was lucky enough to catch on as the volunteer ops guy at Holy Cross where, where coach Doherty and I had been friends for a while and he was already assistant there and coach coach Doherty pushed for me and, and, uh, and really helped me get my break with coach Willard. And I had that job for three months and the guy who was supposed to take the third assistant job at the time, third assistants couldn't go on the road. Um, and the jobs had, they had gone from restricted earnings of 16,000 to like a limit of not much more than that, to be honest with you. And, uh, there was a guy that had been hired and he decided last minute in, in June, not to take the job. And I was, I had gone over to my parents' house on a Saturday for lunch. We were supposed to help the guy move with his wife. He was supposed to be coming up from DC. And um, one of our other assistants, Kevin Nickelberry, who's an assistant at LSU now calls mm -hmm. me up and he's like, Hey, Steve's not coming. I'm like, Oh, why? What's, what's coming tomorrow? I was like, no, no, he changed his mind. He's not coming. I was like, all right, what's that got to do with me? He's like, Coach Wild's about to call you and offer you the full-time job. You're going to take You're it. You're in. I'm like, am I going to take it? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Five minutes later, Coach Willard calls me up and you have this, you know, when you're doing it, you know, in your business and what you're doing, you have these moments that are like your, you know, timeline moments you go back and look mm -hmm. at and like, man, that was awesome. But as you're getting to them, you kind of have this visualization of they're going to be some big deal. Well, Coach Willard calls me up on my next telephone. Pick my flip my next cell phone open. Coach, how's it going? E, it's coach. Yeah, coach, I know. Uh, yes, you probably heard by now, Steve's not coming. You've been doing a great job for three and a half months. I want to hire you. You want the job? Yeah, coach, I'd love to have the job. And I want to say to him, like, I really appreciate He's like, all right, good. We'll fill out your stuff on Monday. Bye, click. And he hangs up the phone. Oh, that's great. And I'm like, it wasn't quite as dramatic as I was hoping for, but I was thrilled. And my, you know, I was there with my parents and I got to celebrate with my parents and you know, um, I wasn't married or, 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 uh, or uh, engaged at the time. So um, kind of hung out with my parents, which was pretty cool. And then here I am, however many years later, hanging out with you on this video call, man. <laughs> I love it, man. Humble beginnings, humble beginnings. That's great. Yeah. So I, I don't want to skip over the, the, the coaching path of like the division one, division two and all that stuff, but I do want to get into St. Michael. So we'll touch on some of that stuff um, sure. as we get into it. So what, after being in, uh, on the division one level for so many years, what attracted you to make that move when St. Michael's offered you the position to, cause, cause obviously, and for some of the listeners that don't know, it's, it's division two. So, yep. and we'll get into some of those differences, but what attracted you to take that and, and, and run that program? I, I had been looking at this league um, for a number of years. I think probably year seven, six, seven, eight at Quinnipiac, I started to get to the itch to be a head coach. Um, you know, I had been around at that time, three really good head coaches at the division one level and learned a lot from them. Um, been around some really good assistants, learned a lot from them. And I just felt ready. I, I, I my path, you know, everybody's path is different, but my path was, I didn't want to be 58 years old and still be somebody's assistant. And still, you know, I wanted to, to find a way to, to take on the challenge of being a head coach. And, um, I, I know there's a lot of really good schools in this league and a, and a lot of really good basketball programs. And um, when St. Michael's came open, you know, I really didn't have a natural connection here. 
Um, but fortunately for me, some things that had happened in, over the prior year, I had built some relationships that, that got me that connection. Uh, and then once I started to speak to Chris Kenny, my athletic director, um, you know, I, I could just tell he, he has a great reputation. He's a really good guy. Um, that was a big thing for me too, is to work with somebody that's just a good person. Um, and I wanted to be, I mean, you know me, Kev, I, I don't, I'm not losing, man. So I wanted to be someplace where I knew that winning was going to be important within my program and that I felt like things were in place that would suit me, that would help us get to the point where we can win. And St. Michael's has that. Um, it's a beautiful school. We have a beautiful gym. I mean, the gym is awesome, man. It's a really cool gym. It's old, but it's not outdated old. It's just nostalgic old. Um, and I love that about it. There's a base of people here that really want our program to be good. They were good 20 years ago. Um, they had some really good teams, elite eight, sweet 16 level teams. Um, and there's, you know, the, the rest of it's work. Like you just gotta, you know how it is, you just gotta go do the work. So that's yeah, that's a great situation. That's huge because obviously everyone wants to win, but you know, you, you can be the first to tell people, I mean, there's, there's not, even at the division one level, there's a difference between you wanting to your program to win and the school really committing to wanting the program to win. Right. Because there's, yep. again, at the division one level, there's a lot of schools that's like, all right, yeah, we have a, we have a men's basketball team. Yeah. And yep. that's it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, 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 it's very important. So, so let's talk a little bit more about St. Michael's talk, talk more about your program, the type of players you look for um, you know, some of your philosophies, like how you run your program on a daily basis. Um, well, I mean, as far as players, I mean, I want toughness. I want tough dudes. I want dudes that love to play. Um, you know, as you go through recruiting and you, and you figure out your style and what you want to do, uh, this, you know, everybody says, Oh, I got to do this or that. I don't know if there's a hundred ways to do it. Right. Um, but I want guys that I want to be around and that, I, that are just good people. Um, I'm willing to take a chance on guys for, for specific reasons, if there's a lot of things in place. Um, and uh, you know, I want guys that love it. I want guys that are good, you know, right now where our program is, is, you know, we won seven games our first year and we are, we're building something And year two right now, unfortunately is not, we're not going to play, but, um, I wanted guys that saw that vision as I spoke to them about, it. I was very honest with them. I said, listen, man, we, the, the program hasn't won and been to the NCAA tournament 20 years. So if that's a challenge you're afraid of, then this ain't the place to go. Um, if you want a coach who's going to tell you uh, everything's great, pat you on the back, I'm not the guy to play for. You know, I'm very honest. And I, 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 was, I loved the way Tim Kloos and Jared Grasso approached recruiting when I got to Iona. You know, Tim is, is a really, really, really tough guy. And, and he's on guys and he pushes guys. And there's a reason he's won, the, you know, he had won what he had won and got to four championships in, in a row and won them all. Mm -hmm. Um, and I took that from him. That's one of the things I took from Tim. I look guys in the face and tell him like, I'm going to, I'm going to get after you. And if you don't like that and you think that's gonna make you uncomfortable, don't come. And if that means kids don't come. Okay. Um, but the guys that I have, uh, I'm really excited about. Cause I think they looked at that and went, this fits me, you know, this fits what I want. This fits what I'm looking for. And, uh, the guys that I got, man, they, they've been bought in and the guys I inherited bought into it. And the guys that we've recruited since then, it's been, I think, nine guys now in two years that they've, they're all about it too. So um, other than that, you know me, man, I'm simple. Play hard or don't play. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have, I, I don't care what level you coach at. Maybe I'm out of my mind, but I don't know why you play if you're not going to play hard and you're not trying to win. 
I, I don't know why you play. Like the camaraderie that comes with being on a team and the experiences of traveling and the, and the things that you gain from your teammates and your coaches, that comes with it. And, and But if you're not going to play hard, I don't know why you play at the college level. You can do that at high school. Right, um, right. And, and, you know, the guys that are, are figuring that out pretty quick are having success because I'm fine if you miss a shot. You know, I'm fine. You turn the ball over, you turn the ball over. That's basketball. It's like, but if you're playing hard, you turn it over and you run back and you take a charge. You turn it over, you run back and you dive on the floor. You turn, run, you run back, get a deflection or block a shot. I'm not going to take you out. I got no reason to take you out. You jog back and mope. <laughs> that, that, I'm, I'm hitting the buzzer myself. <laughs> getting somebody out. <laughs> That's great, man. Yeah, I, I uh, that was one of, one of my favorite parts about having you as a coach is, you, you know, you tell you, you tell it how it is. Right. And I, I try and do that with, with my guys too. You got, you tell people what they need to hear. And um, you know, if you mess up, like it's okay, but you're going to let them know. Right. And, yeah. and so I, I just, uh, I'm going to share the story that I just thought of that, that I remember from, from QU. And I don't, I don't even know if you remember this, but um, so oh it was, boy. it was, it was my, my freshman year. Um, and I had pretty much just made the team. And so it was my first actual road trip. Um, and it was to Cornell. And yeah. I'm pretty sure it was my first road trip. Anyways, we, we lost the two previous games and, um, and we were in the hotel and, uh, and it was like 1130 to 12, nothing crazy. Um, and, and I was on the phone outside my room and I, I forget what happened. Maybe you walked by or something, whatever, like nothing crazy. Right. Uh, and then the next day at shoot around, you, you, you called me over. You're like, come here, Kevin. You're like, um, you're like, who, who, who are you talking to last night? I was like, what? Like, I was like, what do you mean? Who was I talking to? And and you were like, uh, I was, I had no idea what was going on. You were like, what time were we supposed to be in our rooms? And I was like, oh shit, like what? You're like, eleven. And I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah, like for sure. I was like sitting right outside the room. I didn't want to wake up Mr. Sean Light over there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and you were like, look, I like you so far. You're doing a great job, but being part of this team comes with expectations. If we tell you that you got to be in your room at 11 p.m., you got to be in your room at 11 p.m. So just as quickly as you made this team you can also not be a part of this team. And I was like, yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Like, that's what's up, man. Like I, I, I didn't mess up anything crazy, but like he told me how I need, you know, how I need to be. So you can bet your ass that next road trip, 7 30 PM. I was under my covers, man. I was, <laughs> I was coming out of that room, but anyways, so listeners, he will tell you how it is. I love it. I love yeah. it. Man. Some people don't like that, man. Some people, you know, it, it, the, the truth is great. Oh, tell the truth. Tell the truth. The truth <clears> is great, man. But when you tell somebody the truth that they make them uncomfortable, they don't like mm-hmm. it. They don't like what they hear. That's when it gets difficult, but Definitely. I don't change. So what is the day in the life of a head coach? Like, obviously, uh, I think this year was, a, you know, a little bit different for everyone, but just generally speaking, your responsibilities as a head coach. And, and then w- what are some of those responsibilities that maybe you delegate a little bit? Because, you know, everyone's looking at a head coach like they do everything. And obviously you do a lot, but there's a lot of stuff you have to delegate, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I'm fortunate right now. I mean, you know, Tevin Baskin, my assistant, you know, Tevin well, and I'm, I'm fortunate right now that I have an assistant that's full time that uh, that I trust unreservedly to do yep. to just be himself and do what he's really good at, which, to be honest with you, is a lot of things. I, I, you know, Tevin was with us for a year as a player and then, you know, moved on and, and, and found um, Chipola for, as a junior college and into App State and, and had a good career there. And you know, he decided he wanted to get into this crazy mess in coaching and we stayed in touch. And um, I got a lot of respect for, for the decisions that he made. Um, and, and, and now I have a lot of respect for the decisions that's, that he makes as a coach. So mm-hmm. I'm blessed to have 
a full-time assistant like that, that I can just go. And we just had a conversation about it the other day. And he's, he's really diligent about sharing information with me. And I just said to him, like, Tevin, listen, I, I trust you, man. Like, if I haven't made that clear to you, I trust you. So you can handle these things. And if you feel the need to tell me that it happened because it might affect something else, great. And if you don't, I'm fine with that because I know you'll handle it right. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't specifically tell you what things there are like that, but I, I know that as an assistant, I know there were a million things that we handled as a staff that never got to, you know, the head coaches because they just, they got too much to deal with. They don't have to yep. worry about that. Um, so I'm, I'm really lucky that way. And then Shea Berry, my assistant who's part-time, uh, who I've known forever, you know, when he's in practice and he's in games, like I, I just, I have another head coach there who's coaching our guys and teaching our guys and grabbing guys and pulling them aside and doing that. So it makes my life really, really easy. Um, but a day in the life, man, I mean, it's, it's really just for me, it's, it's organization, it's your to-do list, it's what's your priority and what, what's the urgency of the day. Um, and I try to identify that, you know, the night before, the week before, like, what do I got coming up? Make note of it. And then, you know, when I get going in the morning, just like attack it, what do I got to get done now? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, when it's regular, regular, um, you know, time of the year, you got your, your guys rolling into your office at, you know, noon, one, two, and classes are getting done. So if you don't have the stuff done, you need done before that. You got guys coming in and I am, I drop what I'm doing when my guys come around. Mm -hmm. Like I, that's, that's the biggest thing for me is like, if they're coming to my office or they're going in coach Baskin's office or they're hanging out, I have a window of my office where I can see them walk in the building. So as I see them coming down the walkway, I'm like, put my stuff away. What's up? How's your day? What's going on? You got, and they, coach, you want to go shoot? Yup. I'll get to that other stuff later. I would much rather be doing all that than doing the other, you know, the other stuff. Cause there's always time to do that. You don't always have time with your guys. So mm. um, outside of that, man, it's nothing fancy. <laughs> just it's not a lot different to be honest with you yeah it's yeah. not a lot organizationally it's not a lot different it's you know the, the biggest thing I think the first year that you find out that you hear every new head coach say is is the decisions used to have you know me and another assistant coach would talk about something what do you think about this I bounce the idea off them or vice versa and then we'd either individually or collectively bring it to the head coach and go what do you think about this this set change this up. This team does this. We, this is what happened last time. Now that decision ending with me. And that's the biggest thing that makes it different is, um, and I truly believe this, like when you're the head coach, man, they're sinking or swimming with what you say and you do mm -hmm. and your decisions and your decisions with recruiting and what you run and the substitutions and all that. And that was definitely different early. Um, but you, you, you tighten up your belt, man, and you go figure it out. Yeah. One day at a time. Love yeah, it. Absolutely. So, so I want to flashback a little bit to kind of touch on the, the, the division one experience into the division two experience. Um, so you've obviously, obviously played coached and recruited at different levels. What, what do you think is the biggest difference between division one players and division two players? You, you mean as far as the talent level or recruiting them or. Uh, I mean, touch on a little bit of both, actually, if you can. Okay. I mean, recruiting them honestly isn't very different because you're, you, you're talking about a scholarship. Um, so I don't think recruiting them in the process of the recruiting them, recruiting guys is very different. Um, the, the thing that's exactly the same is, is there's always bigger fish. And, mm -hmm. you know, when, when I was at the schools I was at, um, 
there was a different bigger fish you know, at Holy Cross. You were battling different people than you were at some of the other schools in Iona. We were recruiting different people than some of the other places. So, but there's always somebody that one phone call is going to screw up what you're doing. Um, you know, it could have been an Atlantic 10 school. It could have been a, a, a big East school, depending on the, the, the biggest thing here is, is we're trying to battle the fight to recruit division one talented kids right. that are getting division one recruiting. I'm not, I'm not trying to go after the kid that like nobody knows about and the hidden gem and all that. I'm, I'm trying to go toe to toe with people that are getting recruited legitimately at division one and getting phone calls and texts and going for unofficial visits and real recruiting. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the, the school gets somebody else. Maybe they're the third guy on the list. Um, and there's, there's three or four schools recruiting them. And that battle is difficult sometimes to stay in the fight because when a kid is really getting recruited by three division one schools, the division two school, you're kind of like, yeah, all right, coach, but I'm, I'm a D one guy. Okay. But in three weeks that well could dry up before. I mean, we know that, but the kids don't, they, they don't want to think that way. And I don't blame them. That well could dry up real quick. I mean, it happened to me with one of the guys that I have now that I think is going to be an excellent player for us. He was getting recruited by some Ivy league schools. Um, the Ivy League schools recruiting him got someone else and he was waiting for more people to come at him and we stayed with him and people didn't go at him and then you know COVID hit and what you want to call that part of it I'm sure it was and he was like well I really want to go someplace that wants me and if I didn't make him know that we wanted him that I might as well quit because it was blatantly clear to him how we had a plan for him we had watched film with him showed him where he fits showed him how he's going to be where he's going to be at and and we got him and, I, and you know, had he be, we be playing right now, I think he'd be an all league level guy. Um, but I, I also think there's, there's no brainer. He could be playing in the Ivy, the Patriot league or the Northeast mm. conference, America East or one of these Northeast leagues. Um, and that's the level of guy you got to have to win in this league. The, the Northeast mm-hmm. 10 has a lot of division one level players in it. Um, and the coaching is off the charts. Good. Um, the coaching in our league is really, really good. I mean, we've got guys that have won five and 600 games, um, we've got guys with division one experience and we've got some young head coaches that, that are doing a really, really good job. So, um, that, that's the, that's probably the biggest misconception of like how different is the recruiting and then talent wise, I think it more comes down to who you are as a coach and what you, what you value. Um, you know, if you, if you really want a super athletic team, then you're going right. to go after the, that type of guy. If you, if you're pressing and running and that fits your style. If you spread the court and have a good, you know, inside guy and you want to put four shooters on the floor, you go after that. So what I might look at as a guy and go, man, he's going to be great here. Another coach might be like, why do you take that kid? Um, and that's, that's always funny in the business is like, you know, why they take that guy? And then the guy ends up scoring 1400 points. Right. And like, Damn. I wish you might just fit guy. your system. Right. Right. So um, I think that's a piece of it too. And there's no magic formula. I mean, recruiting is, is, is difficult, but, I think the, the biggest successes that you have is if, you, if you're busting your butt and you're sticking to what you value, I think you'll end up being fine no matter what you do. Love it. Yeah. So something that I've noticed from studying and conversing with a lot of people, no matter if they're a coach, uh, if they're in business, if they're uh, an artist, whatever, is that people that have reached uh, some level of success have faced obstacles and pushbacks at some point or various points in their life. So for you, what was a major obstacle along your coaching career that, um, that you had to overcome and, and, and what'd you learn from it? Um, 
I think early, it was probably not coming from an area where basketball is, you know, a hotbed growing up in Worcester, Mass. I mean, if you if you play ball in Massachusetts and you're not from Boston, you're pretty much non-existent. Um, and I was coming up at a time when the prep school scene was was really good, but it wasn't as good as it is now. Um, and it wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Um, so I think the, the thing I battled right away was like, I wasn't from Boston. I wasn't from New York. I wasn't from Chicago, DC, or I wasn't, you know, I didn't play at the division one level. So I didn't have relationships with coaches that I played for or played against who knew who I was because I played at that level. Um, I wasn't, uh, you know, in an AAU program that, that had a great reputation and, and it had really talented players where I was getting, you know, conversing with college coaches all the time. So I think being a bit of an unknown was a battle. Um, and it, it, to be honest with you, I had a chip on my shoulder about it early because I was like, if you're, if you're good, you're good. It shouldn't matter. But you know, that was me naive, 24 years old, not knowing how it all works. And then eventually, you know, you realize like in this business, trust is, is huge and guys want to hire guys that they know and they can trust because your, your life love, your lifeblood is on the line. You, you, you feed in your family. And, you know, you can't hire somebody that's going to be out partying and acting the fool in the, in the town where your school is or, um, you know, drinking and driving or, or, or doing foolish things. You can't have that because you're the head coach. You're the one that's going to end up, you know, paying the price for it. So I think that was a big thing early um, for me. And then, you know, outside of that, I, I just think in this business, you can make your way by just being yourself. And at a point, that's got to be good enough. You know, that's got to be good enough. And, and then, you know, you, your opportunities are going to be opportunities you make because you, you're working really hard and, and you're going to gain some recognition for it. Or you're also going to get lucky. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I, my, my first job as, at the Division One level, I, I think like to think I made some of it because Coach Doherty knew me and knew my work ethic and knew what I was about. And was, you know, uh, I was fortunate enough that he sat in front of Coach Willard, who he hadn't even worked for for a full year yet. And it was at his first Division One job and said, like, we need to bring him in. He's, he's really good. And, you know, Coach Willard's line was where the year before at Anna Maria, we, we had struggled because a lot of seniors had graduated. And he was like, I'm not bringing this guy in. He doesn't win. You know, they haven't won. And that was huge for him. And, and I sat mm -hmm. in front of him in an interview and somehow convinced him that, that I'd be all right. And you know, four years later, I was on his staff and, and, and did well. So I think you, you, you got to be true to yourself too. Mm. Um, but that was always something in the back of my mind that I was like, I'm not from one of these areas and I'm not from a place where I can just, you know, um, my, my cousin and my, my three high school buddies and one guy I went to college with and two dudes I played with are all high school and AU coaches. And I can tap into that. I didn't have that. Um, so the relationships were all just built on calling them up saying, Hey, what's up? have them listen to my funny Massachusetts accent and go from there. And I, you know, some lot really, really, you know how it is, man, really, really good friends in the, in the time doing all that stuff. So. Love it. That's some great insight, man. So as we wrap up here, I will kindly, if interested, give you an opportunity to publicly roast me. I know people have said, Hey, you, you have all these interviews. It's great. But what, what about stories about you? So if you have one, if you would like to feel free to share, I don't know if you have one. So I do. I, I thought long and hard about this when you sent this to me and I actually have one. And the one you told me was awesome. Cause I didn't remember that. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, but uh -oh. you, you are responsible for the scar on my son's forehead. 
what i don't think you know I that this. all right so that's gonna make this that's gonna make this oh, awesome all right my son evan they're, they're 14 now and i i want to say he was two years old probably he's got a scar on his forehead and and it is your fault and i want you to <laughs> And here, here's uh, aren't why. they like six five? Are they six five? Yeah, they're gonna kick. No, they're, they're they're pushing six feet right now, but they're they're not ready for a shot at the title quite yet. <laughs> but so if you remember, I want to say I don't remember if it was your junior year or senior year, but we used to do the slide and talk drill the day before a game, and it was a drill that we did when I was in college, and I I talked to Coach Moore about it. Coach Moore liked it, so we did it. And if you remember, I used to stand at the top of the key. And you guys would come out. Oh, and I, would I, oh, I, remember, I remember. You guys would try to slap the ball out of my hand. And then that morphed into I would take the pad and you guys would come out and you guys would yeah, all like yeah. hip check me with the pad. <laughs> well, do you remember the day that you called me out before the beginning of the drill and said, Coach, why do you need a pad? Are you soft? <laughs> you remember oh, that? Oh, man. I, I do remember that. Okay. I so I took that. that pad and I fired it across the gym. And I won't repeat on the podcast what I said about me being soft. And guys started coming at me and I hit this guy and hit that guy. And then you came at me and I hit you and you went. And then Jamie Jackson came running at me. Was it Jamie? And somebody staggered me as I, as I got hit. And the next guy in line was Justin Ruddy. And Justin Ruddy had been waiting three or four years of me riding him to take a shot. And as I was trying to regain my balance, it was like a movie. Justin hit me in the ribs with his forearm, launched me in the air. I landed on my behind and smacked my head on the floor. Now, had there been concussion protocol back then, I'd have been in it. Because I got up cross-eyed. I turned around. I obviously couldn't let you guys know that I was hurting. I turned around, Coach Darty was laughing at me because he knew I was like staggered for a second, yelled some stupidity out of my mouth. The drill was over. We went through the rest of practice. The whole practice, I'm holding my side. I thought I cracked a rib. The next day I woke up, I couldn't take a full breath. So I get through oh, practice man. the next day. And I said to Meg, who was our trainer at the time, I said, hey, you got to take a look at this after practice. I, I don't know what happened, but Ruddy absolutely drilled me and it's killing me. It's killing me. My wife was bringing the kids to the gym that day to go run around the gym after practice. When she showed up, I was in the training room. Meg was, you know, working, poking around, seeing what was wrong with me. And you know where the, uh, remember where the, the taping stations are on the back yeah. of the training room there? Well, yeah. there was a mat on the ground and my kids were, you know, running around the training room or whatever. And one of the mats was flipped over like the edge of it. And Evan tripped on it and smacked his head on one of the handles oh, no. of the taping of the with the thing and busted his head wide open. So Meg and Ernie ended up gluing it. He was bleeding everywhere. I'm lying on the thing. He's bleeding. It's like someone took a cup of blood over his head. I'm, I'm he's bleeding everywhere. And they're like, they don't put, you're telling me like they don't put small kids under anesthesia for something like this. We can glue it. So Alexis and I looked at each other like, <laughs> all right. So they cleaned it up and they, so fortunately we had two great trainers right there and Ernie and Meg glued the thing. I have a picture. I wish I had it right now. I should have put it up here. I have a picture of him sitting. We took him to the ER just because it was a head injury and he was fine, but he's sitting in the ER on the, on the bed with this big bandage stuck to his head. And he's like, 
Got this look on his face. Oh your man, fault, dude. Your that, fault. That, that is a great story. And while you're telling it, I'm like, this is great. I'm like, wait, so how did I how did I do this again? Oh, yeah. that's amazing, man. You gotta send me that picture. Yeah, I will. I'll find it in my phone. I'll send it to you. And I, oh. I literally in my mind's eye, as I was thinking about this last night, I can see you standing there going like, Coach, what are you soft? You need a pad, man? And I, I, I like remember I just swung the thing across that. the gym. And then I can see I never played football, but I could I can imagine what it's like as a running back when a when a defensive end or somebody's coming to tackle you. Every step Ruddy took at me, his eyes were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And he drilled me. Now you remember, for those that don't know, Ruddy's 6'7, 245, and strong as a bull. <laughs> that was like the last time I think I mixed it up with a with a player. I was realized like I'm past the time where I can handle this physically. Yep. That was it, man. That's amazing. Wow. What a great story. I love it. (laughs) Well, great stuff. Before we finally close off here, I like to end things with what I call a sports business lightning round. So I'm going to fire a bunch of questions at you and you got to hit me with the first thing that comes to your mind. Oh boy. All right. Here we go. Favorite color. Uh, Blue. Most points you've ever scored in the game. 34. Pizza or pasta. Pizza. MJ or LeBron. MJ. MJ, MJ. Coolest city in the world you've been to? Ooh, man. Coolest city in the world? Boston, Mass. Love it. What's something that you're really bad at? Something that I'm really bad at. Uh, Ooh, boy. Um, Prioritizing my family time. What's one of your biggest strengths? Um... I would say keeping my energy up and communication. Who are three people that have helped you tremendously in your life? Um, my mom, my dad, and my cousin, Matthew. Love it. What was your first ever job? My first ever job was selling sneakers, selling shoes at Sneakerama in Worcester, Mass, before there was Foot Locker and all these other places that drove the mom and pop places out of business. For Mr. Genitasio, when I was a <laughs> sophomore or junior in high school, and I, I sold sneakers, and I, I did it, and I, I loved it because I got 30% off uh, any gear that I wanted to buy. So as soon as I got my check, <laughs> I would spend it on buying <laughs> buying sneakers and, and, and uh, warm-up suits. That's awesome. Sneakerama and Worcester Mass. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh, my God. Slow down time so my kids don't grow so fast. Oh, that's a good one. And a couple more here. If you could trade jobs with any person in any industry for one week, who would that be? Wow. Brad Stevens. Ooh, good one. And last question. If you could turn back time and talk to 18-year-old Eric, what would you tell him? Man, you don't have enough time left in your day for this one. <laughs> Keep it short. <laughs> um. I would tell 18 year old Eric that he should be listening to everything his mother and father are telling him and stop being such a pain in the behind mm. because That's... you know, you're, 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 I guarantee your parents said this to you. Every parent says it to their kids. You're, you're going to see when you can become a parent, what it's like and why, I, why I'm saying what I'm saying and doing what I'm doing. And I'm living, I've been, you know, my kids are 14 now from 10 or 11 to now 
you live that every day, man. <laughs> and they look at you like you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like you don't, you know, you know how it is. It's your, it's your dad, your mom. So you're like, man, you never done anything. You never been anywhere. I'm like, when you guys turn 21, I'll spill it all to you. <laughs> and then we'll see what I haven't done and where I haven't been. <laughs> nice, man. Nice. Yeah, that would well, be it. This was awesome. Awesome stuff, man. I hope everyone that was listening was taking notes. There were some gems in here, some amazing stories. So I appreciate you coming on and, and can't wait till this COVID craziness is over so I can come uh, I can come maybe maybe join one of your drills at practice one day. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if our kids would be ready for that, see somebody go that hard. One of my biggest goals is I want to see if I can get up at 4.30 in the morning and play an instrument like Mr. Light's been doing. <laughs> that's I, a good I, one. God bless him, man. I don't, I don't have it in me. Oh, that's good. That's good, in the man. morning. That, 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 have... You know what? Only single people do that. <laughs> well, he does have a girlfriend. He does have yeah, a girlfriend. He ain't married, I, I don't though. know. I, I don't know why she still writes you so with him. Just kidding. All right, I'll, I'll say this then. Only people without kids do that. That's a good one. If Fair he enough. has a kid and he's up at 4 30 in the morning <laughs> playing guitar, I will get up at 4 30 in the morning <laughs> playing guitar with him. If he has a kid, he's oh, still. Oh man. I can't wait till he hears this. Good awesome. stuff, man. Well, I appreciate you, man. We'll talk to you soon, coach. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're feeling really crazy, you can even share it on social media. As always, if there's a topic you want me to talk about further or a guest you would love to hear on the podcast, just shoot me a message on social media at Kevin Tarka. Thanks again, and I'll see you here tomorrow morning on Sports Business Secrets.